from playing 18 to a full 60. Early leads to buzzer beaters. It all starts by getting on the board. Welcome inside a very special episode of On the Board. I am Colby McKee. Across the glass from me, Lance Dahl is here. Hello. Yes, welcome. Good to talk Whatever to you, Whatever day sir. it is. Uh, Corey Bacoskis, unfortunately, could not make it on this show tonight, which is a definite bummer. But on the line, in his place, we have a very special guest. Yeah, Hockey Night pretty in good Canada. replacement. Yeah, very good replacement. <laughs> Hockey Night in Canada analyst, Sportsnet analyst, uh, member of the New York Islanders, the Los Angeles Kings, the San Jose Sharks, and your Medicine Hat Tigers from back in the day. Kelly Rudy joins the podcast. Kelly, how's it going tonight, sir? Very well, Colby and Lance. I'm looking forward to this. Uh, a couple of Medicine Hat guys and... Uh takes me back to my memories uh, going way, way back, long before you guys were born. I started there in 1978, and I guess the best thing, I have a little, tons of great memories, of course, but uh, my best is that I met my wife uh, in Medicine Hat. We're still married, what, 36-plus years together, so it's been great. Oh, hey, congratulations on that. 36 years is uh, is a milestone a lot of us would want to hit, but yeah, you're right. You might have been in the black and orange a couple years before Colby and I, but uh, <laughs> but none of us will forget the smarty box that was, my friend. Kelly, can you tell us what it was like playing games inside the old arena? It was loud. Let's just say that, Lance. It was uh, it was fantastic. It, you know, it was maybe a bit uh, different my first year because uh, we were a really young team, uh, basically all 17-year-olds, and uh, we didn't have very much success. I think we only finished with 37 points, and so it was a bit of a challenge to get some people in the building, although, you know, you always have a, a place like Medicine Hat, such a great hockey market you had. Ballpark, I'm going to say at least 2,000 every single night. But uh, the next year, uh, when we became quite a bit better and uh, all of us were a year older and uh, and so on, and we had a really competitive team, I think we even went to the Eastern Conference Finals, and that, that uh, building was sold out every single night, uh, standing room only, and it was deafening in there. It was a really cool experience to go through for a young guy, 18 years old, uh, my second year, and just to sort of see the change in the culture in the town. Uh, people were talking about us again, and that was really cool. And uh, then my last year, we had a really good team, but we were uh, we underachieved, uh, no question about that, and we lost in the first round. But my three years there were basically magical. That's fantastic stuff. Uh, I, like you mentioned there, some of the uh, the teams surrounding you weren't the powerhouse teams. I mean, outside of the uh, the one there went to the Eastern Conference final, like you mentioned. But uh, the the company that accompanied you to the NHL, a little bit of trivia for you right off the hop there, Kelly. Uh, there was outside of yourself, there's five players that played in the three seasons with the Tigers that had a cup of coffee and made a career in the NHL. Do you remember any of those five off the top of your head? Well, there's Murray Craven. Uh, Murray had a, a long, distinguished NHL career, uh, as did Rod Buskus. Uh, Rod wasn't, uh, you know, he wasn't a superstar, but he, he had an incredible uh, career in the National Hockey League. I think he played something like 12 years. There's Ken Solheim, uh, myself, and how dare I forget the last guy. You said there was five of us? There was five, including yourself. Uh, there's two more. I know one was uh, kind of an enforcer for the Blackhawks for a little while. Uh, who's uh, that? That would have been Tom McMurchie. Oh, wow, okay. He played for uh, one season with the Tigers, as well as Brian Ford. Oh, yeah, well, yeah, Brian Ford. The only reason I didn't think of Brian is that because he was an, another goalie. If I'm not mistaken, Brian Ford only played a couple games with us. That he, is correct, uh, you bet. Yeah, he was, uh, you know, there's a real story behind Brian, so... Uh, he was a star goalie uh, in minor hockey in Edmonton, and uh, he was one of the guys that I was kind of chasing. And there's guys like Clint Malarchuk and others that were well ahead of uh, my development. And uh, Brian chose to play for the St. Albert Saints in the uh, Alberta Junior Hockey League. And I'm not sure if he was intending to go to school down south, but, uh, yeah, I was I was quite surprised that uh, – uh, he didn't go the junior route, but he, he ended up playing, uh, I don't know, what, 50 NHL games, something like that? I think so. That's right. Yeah, ballpark. <laughs> that's a decent ballpark. That's better than, uh, than than I've ever set foot in. I mean, 100%. Definitely. I haven't even worn anything outside of a, of a house league jersey in about a decade, Kelly. So, Well, listen, I'll, I'll tell you a stat. I heard the last lockout. 
that uh, it's something really, really crazy that re- really puts it all in perspective. So 49% of all the players that have ever played in the National Hockey League have played 50 or fewer games. So when you look wow. at people like Jerome McGinley and uh, Sidney Crosby and Wayne Gretzky and all these guys, you know, they have monumental careers and long, long careers and uh, thousands of games, it seems, if you add them all up together. That's not normal. The average careers last about three years, and as I said, 50 or fewer games. So that's that's more in line with uh, a regular hockey player as opposed to the guys that uh, play forever and ever. Well, I'll tell you what, and some of your best memories are created in that journey up to the NHL, Kelly, and uh, you're always remembered as one of the Tigers' favorites, and you kind of go hand-in-hand in, hand in a lot of ways with uh, Voice of the Tigers, Bob Ridley, as just people that, that you know come to mind right away. Uh, cool. I, I'm not sure if you know this or not, but Bob is... Oh, I think two games away from 4,000 called over his career Um, because, of course, COVID-19 had to ruin that. We sit on 39.98 forever. Um, But, Kelly, what are some of the memories that you had with Rids back in the day? Okay, well, first of all, I I was aware of that uh, milestone he's coming up to, and I can't share uh, behind the scenes something just in case Bob's not aware of it. So, uh, (laughs) But, uh, you know, Bob and I have remained great friends. Uh, You know, he has some of the the fondest memories uh, or I have some of the fondest memories of Bob. And, you know, I think to a certain degree, he was one of the guys that got me interested in broadcasting because as you guys know, of course, back then he was driving the bus and calling the games. And I found it very, very difficult after a game to fall asleep. And so oftentimes uh, the bus would get pretty quiet after, you know, an hour outside of a city or something. And, and we didn't have, uh, you know, audio listening devices, no iPads, that sort of thing. So guys would maybe do some homework or read or something. And uh, I just found it really difficult to sleep. So I would just walk up to the front of the bus in the wheel well and uh, stand up there and stare out the front window. And Bob and I would chat to literally on some of the trips, depending where we were, for hours. And, you know, I, I don't know. I'm not a hockey historian, but I know a lot of the history of hockey. And uh, Bob really filled me in with the early days with the Tigers. And, man, he talked talk to me about guys like John Hillworth and all these other guys that had played in the Tigers long before me, Tom Lysak, Lanny, and, and many, many others. And uh, back then, I don't think I was much of a, a talker, but I was a great listener. And so I'm sure it might have helped Bob try and stay awake and keep telling me <laughs> story after story. But it was just... Uh, you know, Bob, I have such admiration for and what he's done uh, and what he's created for himself and the legacy for the Medicine Hat Tigers has just been beautiful. You mentioned earlier that you, you met your wife, Donna, while playing here in the hat and, uh, you know, the love story that came between you two. Just what has she <laughs> meant uh, to your career, uh, you know, traveling through the States and whatnot and to, you know, have your guys' home there in Calgary right now and, and just the, the growth from both of you guys and, and throughout your career? Sure. So, uh, well, everything, it's about our friendship and uh, how we've gone through, uh, like everybody, uh, some really good times and some tough times. And uh, um, I would say that, uh, you know, maybe the best lesson she ever taught me was when we were playing in Los Angeles. And I don't know if you guys are aware of this, but about three years ago, I think it was, I wrote a book and I share this story in the book where, you know, I was young, I was in my late 20s, I'm traded to LA and, uh, you know, there's becoming more recognizable, I guess, and trading cards were really big at that time. And so it was making all of us seem, at least in my mind, a little bit more popular. And I was sort of losing my way a little bit in terms of uh, being friendly towards the fans and, and all this stuff. Just I, I wasn't figuring it out very well. And uh, so one night we're leaving the uh, Great Western Forum after a game. We walk out into the parking lot. And I must not have been as uh, nice to some people waiting for autographs as I should have been. And so we get to the car and open the doors. And before I can even put the key in the ignition, she looks at me and goes, that's enough of that. You're going to go back to being the good guy you always used to be. And that was like, wow, that's an eye opener. If you ever want to <laughs> be told the truth, <laughs> that's laying it on the line right there. And so uh, from that moment on, I, uh, I became 
uh, more grounded again and recognize that I was sort of losing my way a little bit in terms of popularity and what it, I thought it meant and so on. And so it was just a, a really great lesson. So it, if you have a partner like that, you're in good shape where, uh, you know, it doesn't matter uh, what you're doing, what situation, uh, if they're going to tell you the truth in that sort of way, that's what she's meant to me. Kelly, I got to be honest, that's the most sentimental thing that's happened on this podcast in around 61 episodes over the course of a year and a half. 100%. So you've added a little bit of depth to this program, which is very nice. Uh, by the way, the book... Imagine that, me adding depth. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, uh, calling the shots, ups, downs, and rebounds my life in the great game of hockey, Kelly Rudy and Kirsty McClellan Day. Uh, but like you said, your career has taken you uh, to quite a few different spots and lengths and, uh, and depths for lack of a better word, but that 87 Canada Cup team, Kelly, I know that you've probably shared the stories a million times, but for those who maybe haven't heard, what was the experience like being a part of that team? It was phenomenal. Um, you know, being invited even uh, was uh, maybe unexpected for me, but uh, I think what put me on the hockey map sort of was the year before um, we lost out uh, to Washington in the playoffs. And uh, luckily for me, I was invited to play for Team Canada in the World Championships in Moscow. So that sort of put me in Hockey Canada's map, uh, so to speak. And then the following year, uh, I played in a game uh, affectionately known as the Easter Epic. And uh, we played four overtimes. Uh, I made 73 saves. And because of that long overtime, game uh i was invited to the 87 canada cup uh, training camp which was remarkable and incredible if you ever google it and you see all the incredible players on that roster and uh ron hextall and i were backing up we we're rotating every single night grant fear played every game of course but uh, it was really cool in the second game of the final so this was my turn to back up and uh, we're going into double overtime against the Soviets. And because of my uh, long overtime game, uh, we're, we're just leaving the bench, walking down the tunnel towards the dressing room, and Gretzky grabs me, says, hey, Kelly, uh, when we get to the dressing room, I want you to talk to the guys about how to prepare for a long overtime. Hmm. And I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, this is crazy. I've, I've got, like, what, 30 seconds to come up with something. And we get to the dressing room, and uh, Wayne stands up and says, hey, guys, take a seat here. I, I, I asked Kelly to talk to you about how to prepare for a long overtime. And I'm looking around the room. And even though these are my teammates, I'm looking and I'm standing up in front of Wayne and Mario and Mark Messier and Paul Coffey, Grant and all these incredible hockey players, uh, Ray Bork. And, and they're all staring at me like I can give <laughs> words of wisdom that they've never heard before. And so it occurred to me quickly what I had experienced in the, the Easter epic was that uh, I found myself losing a little focus with maybe two minutes left in the uh, overtime period and probably not as sharp also to start the overtime period, maybe for two minutes. Now it's been statistically proven. Chris Snow, the assistant coach of the Flames or assistant general manager of the Flames uh, sent me a text a few years ago saying, I, cause I always say it's the last two minutes and first two minutes. He said it's actually the first three minutes and last three minutes. So I was off by a minute either way, but it doesn't matter. right? Anyways, that was the story I shared with the guys about uh, being ready. And uh, ultimately, uh, we won that game and, and won the, uh, the third game, uh, one of the most uh, memorable hockey games ever played. Oh, I would say so. I mean, I... I'm surprised you didn't just give the, the standard pucks in deep. Let's just cycle four lines and, and let's make sure that we use our depth a little bit, you know? I, that would have worked just as well considering that team that you had assembled there. Uh, right. Well, you remember uh, talking about depth, and uh, I failed to mention uh, Dale Howarchuk, whom we just lost, and what a beautiful guy he was. But uh, he was the guy that took the face off on the opening or on the game winning draw. So. That was really cool to really understand how what Mike Keenan thought of Dale Howard Chuck and the respect that everybody else had for him on that team. You know, I'm not sure if it's common knowledge or not, but um, we were told by by Corey and we kind of dove into it that uh, that your relationship with Al Arbor was a was a special one, Kelly. And mm -hmm. uh, I think it's it's a person in your life. We all have that one role model or that one person that kind of guides us through uh, whatever it is that we're going through. Just how important was Al Arbor to your career and, and just your life to this day? Mm -hmm. Yeah, he was an incredible mentor for me and uh, somebody that I'd really admired. And, uh, you know, one of the things about Al that really surprised me, well, many things, but 
even though he is a, an older gentleman than I was when I made the team, I made the Islanders when I was 22 years old. But uh, I had known that uh, at that point he had won eight Stanley Cups, uh, four as a coach and four as a player. And so he is certainly well regarded and, and uh, respected. But how he adapted to new players and, and new situations was something that really grabbed my attention. So it wasn't old school. Um, he could certainly uh, uh, be tough on you at times, but I, I found him more like a second father. Now, my dad was a beautiful and real gentle man, and uh, Al had maybe more of an edge than that, but uh, uh, he always reminded me of my dad and taught me life lessons similar to what my dad would do and, and the way in which he would speak to me and so on. And, uh, you know, I can say this about, a, you know, a few coaches I've had in my life, and certainly Al was uh, one of them, that uh, every night that I put my head on my pillow before I went to bed, I always knew Al cared about me. And that's that's really saying something when, you know, maybe that during that day uh, he, he may, may have been stern with me or something. But here's another one that really grabbed my attention because I expected more old school from Al. So we had been struggling a little bit. And uh, before practice, he comes in one day and uh, he looks pretty mad and and uh, he goes, how many of you guys go into Manhattan? And and I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, this is, you know, this a, is this a trick question? Like if I put my hand up and say, yeah, my wife and I go to, into Manhattan, is he thinking that we're staying in there at a four or five <laughs> in the morning and up all night and partying and all these things? And and so I think I sheepishly put up my hand and maybe two or three other guys did and uh, he said something like you guys all should be going into manhattan you've got to experience life it's one of the greatest cities on the planet and there's so much there for you to experience and and uh, you know um see things like you have to go to broadway you have to go to theater live theater there's nothing like it mm-hmm. and uh and i'm thinking oh my gosh i i just didn't expect it i thought he would have been telling us to do nothing but focus on the game of hockey and have no other life and just be dedicated to the craft that we're trying to, uh, to uh, improve upon. And uh, so that was really cool about Al because he'd surprised you in so many different ways with different things about how to expand your horizons and become, uh, you know, a better hockey player, but a better person, well-rounded person. You mentioned the uh, Easter Epic battle uh, against the Capitals there, the four overtime, the 73 saves. Uh, it's got to be pretty special to watch uh, Corpusallo there with the Columbus Blue Jackets uh, during this playoff bubble reach the 85. I mean, uh, that I'll be honest, I think for both Lance and I, that record, that 73, was one that we really didn't think it was going to get broken. Mm-hmm. It had to be very mm-hmm. extenuating circumstances. Uh, what was your thoughts watching that game? I know uh, you guys were on the desk doing some other games there for Sportsnet that yeah. night, but uh, I'll give you any flashbacks to 87 and the masterpiece that you performed there. Well, you're right, Colby. So it wasn't the game that we were uh, broadcasting, but uh, Colby and Lance, what, here's what happened that, that night. So I can't recall which game we were actually broadcasting, but I had the uh, Columbus-Tampa game uh, on one of my monitors in my office and I'm watching it and I believe it was after the first overtime uh, and I'd never done this before. I, uh, I came upstairs to my wife and I said, you know what, I think my record is going to be broken tonight for most saves in a playoff game. And uh, I think she kind of looked at me like, yeah, sure, but how, how would you know at this point? <laughs> and, uh, and so I, I continue to actually I focus on that game more so than I think the game I was broadcasting. And uh, it became really exciting. And, and by the way, I always knew the record was going to be broken. It, it just it was it was inevitable. And and quite frankly, I'm surprised many 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 years ago somebody didn't eclipse a hundred save mark just simply because defenses are so much better and goaltenders are better and their equipment's a whole lot bigger. And so mm-hmm. um, twice guys got to the 72 save mark. Uh, Roberto Luongo and Ed Belfour both ended up with 72 saves. Um, and I was broadcasting those games as well. But so, um, and I, I don't know if you saw my post-game comments when uh, Bobrovsky, or uh, excuse me, Corpus Allo broke the record. I, I was actually pretty, I was elated. I was smiling and I was happy. And I also said, I, I, I only wish that uh, Vasilevsky breaks the record as well. Now the game was still going on. It was, it was my hope that because it was such a, a really exciting, cool game to watch, that both goalies 
uh, on the same night would break the record. Wouldn't that have been cool? Like mm-hmm. I was just so hopeful for that, but unfortunately it didn't happen, but just a really cool moment for me as a broadcaster to watch. Yeah. That was a wild moment for any kind of hockey fan to kind of see the battle that Corpus Allo and Vasilevsky were putting on. Mm-hmm. Um, is it fair to assume Kelly, that if the equipment and everything was the same today, that you would have cracked the triple digit mark? <laughs> <laughs> is that a fair assumption I don't to know. make? I, 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 I was wearing down pretty good. Right about the point where the game ended, I was leaking oil pretty good. So <laughs> we were uh, we were exhausted. In fact, this is not an exaggeration. So the game started at 7.30 at night and ended at four minutes to two in the morning. Oh. And uh, and back then, we had no way to replenish uh, you know our, our food or anything. We didn't have pizza. We, energy bars, I don't even think, were invented back then. And so, uh, like I said, we were all really exhausted. And so... Uh, by the time we had the handshake and then uh, we did some media, I think it might have been about 10 after 2 or 15 after 2 in the morning when I started taking my gear off. And as soon as I started to unlace my skates and take my skates off, I was so dehydrated. This is not an exaggeration. My toes immediately curled under. Uh, I just couldn't even straighten my toes anymore. I had no fluid left in my body. And, and so, guys, you know what I did wisely to try and uh, rehydrate? I had two cold beers. There you <laughs> go. You could drink a beer in the dressing room after a game. Let's go. Yes, sir. <laughs> Wasn't the greatest move. It went right to my head, but it sure tasted good. I can tell you that. <laughs> no, they were probably, uh, since we don't have any beer sponsors, we'll throw out Medicine Hat Brewing Company. They were probably, oh, yeah. they were probably Medicine Hat Brewing Company beers that you were having, huh? <laughs> okay, I'll go with that. Yeah. yeah, yeah and we boy, do they do a nice job getting them to Washington, D.C. somehow. <laughs> <laughs> and I tell you what, they haven't been around that long, but the way that they were able to transport it was Something else. Uh, (laughs) Incredible stuff. Uh, Kelly, uh, in conversation, we should mention with Kelly Rudy of of Sportsnet and Hockey Night in Canada, uh, the situations that we have seen develop over the past 10 months are obviously unparalleled. You've heard every kind of descriptor be thrown out to try and describe the, the world that we're living in, Kelly. But if you could try and put yourself in the mindset of the modern day player and try and put yourself in the in the shoes of guys getting ready to go in just a couple days with another season let alone on the heels of a bubble how would you personally be feeling in the environment i think i'd have mixed feelings um i think that uh, off the bat i'd be extremely excited about uh, getting going again and playing with my buddies and having a chance to play for the stanley cup Um, But I think on the other hand, um, and this is just me, I can't speak for other players, I haven't talked to them, uh, although I know uh, through some others that uh, this is an issue. Uh, In particular, in the bubble, I know it was about mental health issues, Mm -hmm. and it's a topic that we talk about a lot in our family, and we're very uh, open about it. But I just think it would have been uh, very, very difficult to have been in that bubble. Well, by the way, you guys saw Rick Bonus. And talking, I think it was after the the first round. Uh, it wasn't even in the second, third, or in the finals that he was talking about it. That how difficult it was, and his voice was breaking about um, the challenges inside the bubble and so on, and the, the stress mentally. Um, and so I think that would have been something that would have really uh, been weighing on me. And I, I know moving forward, the players are are really good, and they have uh, coaches to help them with uh, whatever they're going through mentally, but. You know, I, I would be quite concerned about uh, contracting the virus, and uh, you know the leagues are doing their best. And there's no question about that, and it's all about health and safety to play or players. But man, you know, you look at other leagues, and and uh, they've moved forward, but they've all had cases of COVID also. So that would definitely be on my mind, and I can't speak for those players. Maybe they don't think that way, but I would think it would be very likely they would. And Kelly, for those who don't know, you do have an honorary degree from MRU in Calgary uh, for your work within the mental health field and just your advocacy efforts. Mm-hmm. Um, do you know if the supports are, are strengthened at all over the last little bit, if they've improved for the players, the coaches, the staff uh, in the NHL surrounding mental health? Just because it is one of those things that we don't talk about enough, but it is a, a stark reality. Yes, and that's a very good question. And uh, yes, uh, they have more uh, resources in place and and everybody's really given that great consideration. And and I know every single team has somebody uh, in a position to talk to the players about 
their mental health, but uh, it's it's ramped up even more so now. And I'm I'm happy to say that if a player is going through something, that they have the ability and they won't be judged to go to somebody else and and have the discussion that they need to make sure that they're doing okay uh, with their mental health. Because uh, and, and you know what, guys, it's not just the player himself. You know, you think you factor in in especially in the terms of going back to the bubble. You factor in these are all young people. Uh, a number of them have uh, young families. And that puts a lot of stress on their their partner back home, uh, trying to deal with uh, their children and and uh, their health and uh, all the all the scenarios that you can think of. So uh, I think that the NHL has done an amazing job, like truly amazing, to to pull it off in the first place in the bubble and now to be in this place. In fact, uh, they've thought of every single thing. Earlier today, I had a three hour conference call or Zoom meeting. Uh, with the NHL and the rights holders and so on about uh, protocols and everything that uh, they're expecting of us as broadcasters and, and, and so on. So uh, they have done more than their due diligence, and it's really cool uh, to know that they're trying to do their best to make sure that the players are safe. Mm-hmm. Just before we get to the Canadian division, the the North division, uh, as the realignment has been given, uh, do we know what your cur- uh, current broadcasting situation will be uh, for this upcoming season? Are you going to be in Calgary following the team? Are you going to be making the uh, the trek to Toronto uh, for those hockey night segments on Saturday? What's your schedule going to be for this mm-hmm. upcoming season? Okay, my employer, Sportsnet, uh, they're phenomenal in the sense that they allowed us to choose uh, – uh, how comfortable we were with uh, our workload and our travel and so on. Nice. And uh, I've chosen not to travel. Um, so uh, I'm going to be doing the Flames uh, color analyst, uh, analyst jo- job as well as Cassie Campbell-Pascal. Um, and we've both chosen so that we will be actually going to the Scotiabank Saddle Dome for those broadcasts. Um, we were not on the same night. So Rick Ball will have either myself and uh, Cassie on uh, different nights. Um, and then for road games, I believe, but it's not confirmed. We're going to be going uh, to a site. I don't know if it's a saddle dome yet or some other location, a broadcast location. And we'll be calling those games, uh, the road games for the flames off a monitor. And lastly, uh, since I'm not traveling, uh, they've put in the home studio again in my house, in my basement, in my office. And so I'll be doing Saturday nights from my home office. So that's uh, it's really comforting for me to know that uh, uh, I've, since I've chosen not to travel, that I'm not going to be judged for it and forced to or feel any sort of pressure. They've been uh, really open with us. Uh, and the same as the NHL with the players. that they uh, prior, Priority number one for us is uh, our uh, health and safety also as broadcasters. Hell yeah, that's what's most important. That mm-hmm. is uh, mm-hmm. to, to have the opportunity to be able to to be that flexible. Uh, just kind of speaks volumes to the group that is yeah. over at Rogers and the entire crew at Sportsnet. That is awesome, Kelly. Okay, um, let's get into some hockey, shall we? Can yes, we dive sir. into some some what's going to happen here in whatever this season entails? Because no one really knows. <laughs> right. Exactly. Um, I, I don't want to ask you an impossible question to lead, but. I, 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 if I do, I'm sorry, Kelly. I'll, how about I put it that way? <laughs> so we've seen the the core sports, baseball, football, basketball, all try to do this regular season without the bubble. It is a tall task. It is a tall order. It is not easy. But as you've alluded to, there's so many protocols in place that the NHL mm-hmm. has done their past due diligence to make sure mm-hmm. that they can make this a reality. But I think we're all of the understanding that there are going to be COVID-19 challenges that happen throughout the season because it almost seems inevitable at this point. But do you think from your sense that the NHL is prepared to to handle things and and get to the finish line of the season intact? Yes, I do. And knowing knowing, uh, fully that... Uh, there will be players that unfortunately contract the uh, the virus. I, I think we all expect that. Um, we all wish everybody the best and, and uh, quick recovery. But uh, I do think the NHL is going to be able to pull this off. Um, they're they're dedicated to it. Uh, they're committed to it. And I think that although it's going to look unlike any other NHL season we've ever been a part of before. And, and uh, but it's going to still be super exciting, and we're all going to have the luxury of watching the game that we love. Um, and so, uh, you know, I, I think that we we're all hopeful that they get get through it as safely as possible. But unfortunately, it's going to be a, a strange year, and that some players will get uh, sick. Uh, absolutely, unfortunately, that that might be the uh, the case 
going forward for sure. Uh, you talked about the the strangest strangest of this year. Uh, the All-Canadian Division, definitely something that uh, was floated around back in the bubble, uh, looking f- towards this 2021 season. The North Division, what's your thoughts on that? I know, obviously, uh, due to travel concerns, this is the way that the season has to go. Uh, mm-hmm. But do you see an idea... Uh, going forward, not just past or not just 2021, but beyond, uh, a way to incorporate these rivalry games, these Canadian rivalry games, not just in an all Canadian division. Oh, I don't think so. I, I think this is just a, a one-off. I, I can't uh, see it uh, beyond this. Although I think this really makes it exciting for all of us Canadians uh, and to watch. Uh, all seven Canadian teams uh, and the rivalries that we're going to be maybe renewing in some cases or, or starting fresh with. But uh, I just think that it, it's, it's going to be so cool that, you know, to a certain degree, I hope this doesn't sound the wrong way, but there's not as much hatred in the game. And I think this all Canadian division will create some of that again. You know, you look at the schedule and uh, some teams, they're going to be playing each other three consecutive games uh, during this uh, this season. And so it's inevitable that you're going to sort of start to really dislike or hate your opposition. And and that's good. So, you know, we, as the hockey fans will be the beneficiaries because uh, you know, there's going to be uh, more physical play, I think. And uh, you know, maybe a little bit more emotion. There's always emotion and all that, but you know, I think this might add to it. And so it's going to be pretty cool as a one-off. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, you speak on the the rivalry, the the animosity between these teams, especially in the Canadian division. We'll talk about the states maybe in a little bit. But uh, mm-hmm. I was listening to uh, Thirty One Thoughts with uh, Jeff Merrick and Elliot Friedman, and Elliot made a great point. Like t- people don't buy tickets to a game because the two teams respect each other. <laughs> they go to an Oilers Which and is a Flames bad. game they, because they want to beat each other's heads in. They want the, the, the rivalry and the animosity, like I mentioned. And like that, those, those sort of things are going to be you know, prevalent in this new season. I 100% agree with you, Kelly. Yeah, and, and Elliot's exactly right. You know, it's, it's one thing you know, to have your hockey idols and pay money to go see them because that's cool. I've done that. I've gone to see musicians that I greatly admire. But there's nothing like when two sports teams uh, kind of hate each other and brings out the best and most passionate play between uh, both teams. And that's that's really you know what the essence of sports. You you really what you're trying to do in sports. It doesn't matter what sport. You're trying to break the will and the spirit of the other person. And uh, it's not only in contact sports like like hockey and, and others, football. You know, I played. I used to play a lot of squash when I was younger, and then I and then I uh, hurt my knee. But I don't play anymore. But intimidation was a part of squash, and you know, that, that's, you'd think oh, that's a gentle racket sport. Well, it's not. <laughs> it, it has its own form of hatred and and uh, intimidation, and and that's what we all love about sports. Kelly, I tell you what, I've seen a few pickleball games going on behind my house. The amount of intimidation when people walk on the court, I'm surprised there's not WWE entrance music. <laughs> like sometimes I feel like the rock's walking through, you know? That's funny. Our neighbors put in a pickleball uh, uh, net and uh, they just would tape, I think, but it did it in the driveway in front of us in the oh. cul-de-sac. And so we watched them play. Uh, throughout the summer, so that was kind of fun. The pickleballers are a different breed. They really are. Like pickleballers mm. are special people. Uh, we'll try and swing around the Canadian vision, uh, division rather as quick as we can here, Kelly. But uh, obviously, with you based in Calgary, and uh, we're very close to Calgary, the Calgary Flames just come to mind. Uh, a lot of mm-hmm. moves in the off season, both incoming and outgoing. Um, what is your sense? You've you've seen one of the intra squad games. We saw that you were in the dome uh, the other night for the first one, and uh, the second one actually just happens to kick off in what, about an hour and a half time from now. Um, What is your sense of the 2021 Calgary Flames uh, incoming, outgoing, and and how they shape up? Uh, Well, first of all, I think that uh, it's a a better team, uh, although I I thought they were a really good team last season, uh, maybe lost some of that momentum that they had uh, in around January of last year, and unfortunately then the pandemic hit, and then you know, you're trying to kickstart it again and maybe recapture what you guys or what they had. And that was that's very difficult, although they beat Winnipeg, but still lost to Dallas. And I think that that really disappointed this group. I think this is a pretty driven group that they recognize that they're pretty close to the top. And uh, then you add in uh, Markstrom, uh, incredible goaltender. In fact, you know, I think it was about three years ago. Um, that's when I really thought Markstrom was a 
uh, bonafide NHL goaltender. And I remember on a Saturday talking about that. And uh, I didn't know if he was ever going to be a number one. Uh, but then about a year and a half ago, I recall again on a Saturday, and I said something like, you know, I think I owe Markstrom an apology. I said maybe a year and a half before that that I didn't know if he was ever going to be the true number one. Well, he's proven to me he is. And uh, man alive, I thought he should have been, I think he finished fourth for the Vesna last season. I thought he should have been in the top three. Or, uh, it, it's hard to compare uh, all those guys, but mm-hmm. I, I thought he was just phenomenal. So he's really going to add something to this Flames team. And Chris Tanev is a, uh, a surprisingly good defenseman. As you mentioned, I went to the scrimmage uh, last week. I'm going tonight, by the way. But uh, just the way that he, you know, he's a really ultra-competitive guy. And sometimes you don't really see it in the same way when you're watching on television. But to see him live, you really it really stands out. Now, the one thing that I've always said about Tanev that is just puzzling to me, because he's got really good skill, uh, really good first passer, and uh, really makes a play quickly. And for whatever reason, I don't know why it just doesn't translate to more points. Maybe Mm -hmm. it will this year for some reason, but he's a heck of a hockey player. And so I look at those two guys in particular and how they've improved, and then they've added some other guys, uh, depth guys and so on. So I I just think uh, this is a really good team. By the way, I don't know if you guys are aware of this, but Lindholm, it looks like he's going to start the season as a full-time center. Mm -hmm. As you know, he's played on the right wing with – Monaghan and Goodrow for the large part. They haven't at different times the last couple of years playing center, but it looks like they're more dedicated to that, and that's going to really help. I feel like Markstrom's been a guy that's been in the system in the NHL for, I mean, he has been for since 05-06 with the Florida yeah. Panthers. He's been a, a goalie that's been touted as one of the best in the world, uh, even yeah. back to his days in Sweden. And it's nice to see him, I mean, obviously the career year with, with Vancouver last year, uh, bringing in on a, on a big contract, a big salary uh, for mm-hmm. Markstrom, which is nice. And uh, the first real number one, I would say, since Kiprasov, I think Lance would agree with mm-hmm. that as well. Uh, just yeah. bringing that, uh, that intensity as well. And, uh, I mean, a lot of expectations go in yearly with a crew like Goudreau, like Monaghan, like Lindholm to a certain extent as well. Um, Do you think it's hard to really pin down what expectations are in Calgary? I think a playoff berth would be uh, highly likely, highly anticipated. But if things go south, what is your anticipation of Brad Living making some major ramifications, i.e. Goudreau, i.e. Monaghan, Mm -hmm. any sort of uh, shuffling the decks? Yeah, I think that's a, a distinct possibility if it doesn't go as well as planned, uh, if they don't have a deep playoff run. Because I think that uh, it after last year, it's kind of like, okay, well, they lost to Dallas. Dallas ended up going to the finals. But was it because that interruption in the, in the season? Uh, I think there's something about that. Um, you know, like I said, they were really playing well. It was in January, by the way. When uh, I said something like, you know, if this team can make it in the playoffs, I think they're going to be a pretty good team and a real hard out because uh, they had faced so much adversity during the season. And that that was the case. Like they were really playing well when the season was put on pause. But I think it's also to the point now with the players that you mentioned, uh, they are at a point in their career where you've got to decide, are these the kind of guys that can take us to the next level? And if they don't, do we have to really seriously consider uh, making some major changes? Not not tweaking, but major changes. And I, I, I truly believe, and Brad Tree Living has not told me this, this is just my own personal belief, that that would be after this season, If they, like I said, if they don't go on a good run. And that's why maybe we see the splitting of Elias Lindholm up to that top line or 1A, 1B center, however you want to frame mm-hmm. it. But uh, as I'm sure you saw, and for those who didn't, uh, the last time that the Flames were on the ice for a practice, their group one had Kachuk uh, on the left side, Dubé on the right, and Elias Lindholm in the middle. And then their yep. second group had Johnny Gaudreau, uh, Sean Monaghan, and Andrew Mangiapane. Do you think Mangiapane, Kelly, is one of those guys that can slot in with Gaudreau or Monaghan? Just, I, I wonder because his chemistry with Mikhail Backlund seemed to go so well as yeah. as their time carried on that maybe they haven't found what they're looking for with with Monahan and Gaudreau yet. Yeah, I'm still wondering about that myself. I, I don't know. First of all, Mangiapane is a heck of a hockey player. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, I'm fortunate because uh, I get to watch him almost every single night with the Flames, and he's an underappreciated hard worker. And so he's got a great skill level also, but he is a guy that just does not give up on pucks. And so he could be really good with uh, Monaghan and Goudreau um, simply because he's going to get pucks, he's going to retrieve pucks, and he's skilled enough to get the puck over to Monaghan or Goudreau. And uh, so I'm curious to see how that chemistry works. I think uh, Jeff Ward and uh, the rest of the coaching staff and the management, they're still trying to figure that out. And uh, although in a well, you know, 50-some game schedule, you don't have a lot of time to work on things, I think that's something they're going to sort of let play out and see what happens. But, but keep in mind, guys, you, you, you know, you've covered hockey forever. Uh, no lines are set in stone. Mm-hmm. It, it's, you know, and in today's game with so many injuries and so on, you need guys that can play up and down in your lineup. And, uh, you know, Simone, whom they got from Pittsburgh, is a more uh, talented guy, has more skill than you think. And uh, I think you've probably heard the story. Sidney Crosby loved playing with him. Uh, it didn't translate, again, to more points for Simone, but he's a good player. And and so, and Dylan Dubé is, uh, he's, you know, he, he's really on the verge of being something special also. So this is cool. And then, you know, we haven't even talked about the veteran, uh, the, the Michael Backlund, like he is something to watch. And by the way, he's the nicest human being. I don't think I've ever met a, a, a jerk from Sweden ever in my life. Maybe they do have bad people, but I've never run into them. At least in the hockey world, they are just the nicest people on the planet. Yeah, by all accounts, everyone that runs into Backlund say that he's one of the greatest people, and uh, yeah. just just it's like a family guy first. And uh, and you're right; it's kind of like how people perceive Canadians, how we're always so nice. Right. Maybe there's something going on in Sweden that we don't know about. Uh, but Kelly, I'm sure you saw the massive waiver dump that has taken place over the last day and or yeah. two, uh, because as in case you don't know, taxi squads are going to be a viable and yeah. thriving option this year for for those yeah. who may not know with four to six options on your taxi squad as a way to not only get more bodies potentially in the lineup or have more resources available, but also it can act as a way to move the cap around and, and work the cap a little bit when it comes to crunch time in a playoff run. But uh, I, I'm in a group chat with my cousin and a buddy of mine, Kelly, yeah. and yeah. I got a, a, a screenshot followed by the what the hell are the Flames doing? And it just said flames on waivers this morning. And the first line that he was concerned about was Oliver Shillington. Is there a concern with Oliver Shillington and the Calgary Flames? Because the the common thought that we had anyway was why wasn't Nesterov maybe the one to go through the waivers? Mm-hmm. Uh, great questions for somebody other than me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not the manager, but I can tell you what. Nesterov, uh, he belongs. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I'm curious to see how he plays again today. But here's a guy, he's 27 years old, I believe. He had a taste of the National Hockey League before Tampa and Montreal. Went back to the KHL, had tons and tons of success uh, personally and also team-wise uh, in the KHL in Moscow. And uh, he also, by the way, he played, uh, he represented Russia in the 2016 World Cup and the Olympics in 2018. So this is a guy that can play on the world stage. So he he looks ready. He he certainly looks like he's a player to me. Shillington, uh, to me, is a guy that's still trying to find his way. And uh, as a Flames broadcaster, there have been many nights where I've been impressed with his play and other nights where I feel that he still needs to take some bigger strides. So mm-hmm. I don't know what went in behind the Flames' uh, decision to do that, but it makes sense to me in that sense. The, uh, the Derek Ryan, that was the name that got yeah. my attention. I, I was, And I'm sure it's for cap uh, issues, but man alive, he is Mr. Dependable and does everything for the, uh, the franchise. Now, you could maybe make the case that uh, you, know, you don't want your fourth-line player making that kind of money, but that's a separate issue to a certain degree. Let's go up the highway to uh, Edmonton uh, in the Oilers uh, offseason that was. They added some depth around uh, McDavid and Dreisaitl, adding uh, in a cap-friendly deal with Kyle Turris, Tyson Berry on a, on a really friendly deal, kind of re- revitalized his career there in Edmonton. Tyler Ennis stuck around. Uh, Jesse Pugliarvi 
Uh, Ken Holland got him back from Finland. Mm-hmm. Some nice moves uh, around the Oilers. I mean, obviously the blow to Oscar Kleffbaum, that's going to hurt the decor uh, tremendously. Uh, and, and the goaltending, they didn't address it really in the offseason. They were in on Markstrom, but obviously didn't pull uh, the trigger, didn't get their man uh, in, in Markstrom. And the, the duo of Koskinen and Smith, can they be enough around uh, the added depth and, and the decor that's been on the you know injury side of things? Can that be enough to push Edmonton to the top of the North Division? Yeah, I'm curious about that, too. So Koskinen is a guy that, uh, recall when uh, they signed him to that four-year extension, mm-hmm. and I think it, it caught all of us off guard. We're like, why would you do that? And uh, <laughs> Oh, we were know, saying number- it, too, Kelly. We were saying it, too, buddy. Yeah. 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 And and then I'm looking at the dollar value, and I go, oh, my gosh, that doesn't seem quite right. And and uh, much to my surprise, I must say that uh, depend- or based on his play last season, I'm kind of thinking that might be a pretty solid deal because he has really improved. I remember when I first watched him and uh, uh, I was like, oh my gosh, this guy has a really hard time catching anything. He just, it just wasn't a natural movement for him. And uh, uh, he's worked on it diligently. And so he's a much improved goaltender. And, and I don't know if he's a true number one and I don't know if he ever will be, but he's certainly uh, better than what uh, people give him credit for being. Uh, and then you won't find a more competitive guy in Mike Smith. I know I, I did say also at one point last year that uh, I thought his game was on the decline. Uh, he sort of rebounded about a month after that, but uh, he is so competitive that he's going to try and will it to happen again. But, uh, uh, you know, I, I'm still curious to see if they're going to be okay in that department. And, and the other two guys that uh, grabbed my attention that you mentioned were uh, Kyle Turris. I have no idea how his game disappeared uh, mm-hmm. in Nashville. I have mm-hmm. no idea. He, he was an excellent player before that, and uh, I thought good value also. And and uh, then he goes to Nashville, and he just couldn't find his role. He just couldn't fit in. And so I'm really hoping for him, because he's such a nice guy also, that he's going to find a way to get his career back on track. I'm sure that he wants to prove uh, to everybody that he's uh, he still has plenty of good hockey left, and and Tyson Berry, I truly believe that he's going to be uh, back like how he was playing for Colorado. It was a disaster when he went to Toronto. I believe uh, there was only a stretch uh, for about three weeks where I thought uh, with the Leafs that Berry was playing uh, as well as he had in Colorado. And, you know, I think just Toronto is just such a hard place to play that uh, uh, it's not for everybody. And I, I think that market um, – it, it can help some players, and I think it can almost ruin some other players. In conversation with Kelly Rudy of Sportsnet and Hockey Night in Canada, uh, we'll give you a couple quick hitters around the rest of the Canadian division before we let you go, Kelly. Uh, we'll stay out west with the Vancouver Canucks, who, of course, maybe most notably lost a lot of players um, mm-hmm. from Markstrom to Tanev, Stetcher to Foley. Uh, but they do have a couple additions that they made, one being Nate Schmidt, who, if you've seen on social media, is apparently a very funny guy. <laughs> At least that's what people want to market him as. I don't know. I don't know if he's actually funny or if he's just hockey funny because we don't get enough of those glimpses. Uh, and Brayden Holtby, of course, uh, joins the fold in Vancouver. Is Because this feels like a very similar situation to me, Kelly, like it does that you just described in Edmonton with the Canucks, with Holtby, who those have said is starting to see his play decline over the last few years. And a guy like Thatcher Demko, who seemingly looks at some point ready to be number one, but hasn't been there yet. Do you get the same vibe out of Vancouver like you do in Edmonton? Yeah, I I think one thing that Holby is going to be really good, uh, in fact, invaluable for Demko to help Mm -hmm. him with the knowledge of the league and and sort of how to prepare. And and I've heard conversations they've had about uh, Demko has been really impressed with Holby's work ethic and what is he's trying to how he's trying to get back uh, to the level he was uh, at not long ago. And I think that's one of the really important things for a young goaltender because I remember when I was coming up. And I had the good fortune of uh, having Billy Smith and Roly Melanson to really help me along. And so those nights when you're you're sitting in your stall, you're you're going to be playing maybe Mario Lemieux or or somebody of that nature. Uh, and because of inexperience, you're, you you have a couple questions. And so uh, I'd always go over to Billy or Roly and say, Hey, I, I'm just a little bit curious. What do you think about this guy? Or what do you think? 
or what do you know about their power play and how they like to set up this one particular one time or all those little questions, you know, and there's plenty of scouting reports. I get that, but there's nothing like talking to a player firsthand that's been through it. And so Denko has that luxury to go to Holtby and, uh, and maybe calm him down just a little bit. And, and so that's going to be really, uh, really important uh, uh, teammate to have. And, and then the other uh, losses, there's no question about it. When you lose, like some of the guys that you mentioned, that's, that's going to be uh, – I'm curious to see if they can find the depth in their organization to recover from that. Mm-hmm. One team that is completely set in net, uh, Vesna winner Connor Hellebuck with the Winnipeg Jets. Uh, the Jets trying to get back into that cup contender mold that they were as Western Conference finalists just a few years ago. They bring in Paul Stastny uh, for his second tour of duty with the Jets in the forward group. Arguably some of the deepest top six uh, in the mm-hmm. entire North Division. Uh, up and down, that top six is fantastic. Uh, like I mentioned, Hellebuck and Brassois, who played fantastic in a backup role uh, just a couple seasons ago. Uh, defense-wise, I mean, they got Morrissey, they got Pionk, uh, a couple guys that they hope can yep. grow internally. But I think, yep. I, you can tell me, Kelly, that's probably the one of the weakness on this Jets roster is the lack of big names on the back end. Well, and you take into consideration, and admittedly, uh, Morrissey said he didn't have a very good year last year, and uh, he's so pr- proud of what he's done. He's 25 years old. He's talked about how he wants to be better. He needs to be stronger. He's worked at that. He wants to be uh, you know, a, an impactful player like he was previously in his career. Now, don't get me wrong. He, he didn't have a terrible year, but just by his own standards, it wasn't uh, where he wanted to be. Maurice even said that. Uh, but, you know, it, interesting how they're tweaking certain things in Winnipeg. Uh, uh, and I don't know if this has continued, but I know even just a couple days ago, so far in camp, Kyle Connor's been on the second line uh, with Stastny and uh, Line A. And uh, Ehlers has gone up with Shifley and Wheeler. And uh, that's, you know, Connor's has been uh, on fire uh, on that top line for a while. What do you have, 38 goals last year, three consecutive 30-plus goals, and and yet he's the kind of teammate, uh, Paul Maurice has been saying, that he doesn't complain about anything. He, he just thinks, hey, it can fit here, it worked on that line, but now I can go to this line and have the same sort of success. He wants to work on certain things in his game, and they also feel they can draw a little bit more out of Ehlers because I think you guys know he's a pretty talented guy, uh, extremely quick, but in in the past, one of the things that uh, concerns me about Ehlers when he starts to press is that he doesn't move the puck as much. He gets to be pretty much an individual player out there and tries to uh, find his way through all the defenders in, in this game. It's, it's, it's impossible to do that. So he gets that speed through the neutral zone, and all of a sudden the other team just sort of angles him off, and that's the end of the rush. So I think this is something they're trying to do allow him to understand that if you use your line mates and they're two pretty darn good line mates, <laughs> you might find uh, success a little bit easier to come by. Kelly, I'm just looking for a number on this question. How many weeks will it take until the Jets focus and the media out of Winnipeg starts talking about Patrick Laine? Wow. Well, uh, it hasn't it started? Okay, all right, fair enough answer. Zero. All right, so negative weeks. I, I'm just, right. I, I, I always, and I wish we had more time to, to really dive into it, but I, I get curious about the Paul Stastny uh, second tour of duty, like Colby put it, and coming back in because it was noted that Patrick Laine seemed to have some chemistry with Stastny. Yep. Uh, I'm, I'm very curious to see if that uh, acquisition of Stassi can somehow maybe mend some fences between Line and, and the Jets organization to the point that he sticks uh, around a little bit longer or willingly wants to well, be there Well, you sure longer. hope so, right? Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and you're right. Stassi was a tremendous player for them when he was there and uh, gave them so much depth that, uh, uh, yeah, I'm a big fan of his. But, uh, you know, it, it is interesting, how, you know, how it gets to this point, certainly. And, you know, it's happened throughout the history of the NHL. And, and for us that uh, aren't in the know and uh, we're, you know, we find it curious. How does it, how does the relationship go like this? And, you know, you both sides understand the importance of the player to that organization, yet you can't fix it. And uh, so, you know, you hope that he has some success with Sassney and it kind of helps, but 
on the other end of it, uh, sometimes hurt feelings uh, last uh, forever. Mm-hmm. I don't know much, but what I do know is that relationships in business can be tricky things to iron mm-hmm. out. That's about all I know. Uh, we'll keep moving east over to Ottawa, and the Senators uh, admittedly may be uh, looking towards the bottom half of the North Division this year, but there's a lot of promise, it feels like, in Ottawa, and you just look at the amount of depth they have and potential that they have coming from a bunch of their prospects. Uh, this could be a big year for Ottawa to take some big steps forward, couldn't it? Absolutely. I, I've got my eye on that team. I think they're going to be fun to watch. Me too. I, I don't know how much success they're going to have, but they're not going to be an easy out. And that's one of the things their uh, general manager, Dorian, talked about, that he felt that uh, they went down too easily uh, last year and that uh, <clears throat> that's not going to be the case. They're not giving young kids a job just because they're talented and high draft choices. You have to earn it. And uh, they're determined to play uh, a much harder game uh, this year. And, and they've upgraded in some areas as well, right? Like they're, they've got some uh, pretty good players uh, joining them uh, in the offseason. And number one would be Matt Murray. I'm, I'm so hopeful that he can find his game. Uh, i got to tell you, when I first saw Matt Murray, when he burst onto the scene, when I first saw him live, um, I said something like this to myself. I said, oh, my gosh. I think this might be the best young goaltender at that age that I've ever uh, seen in my life. And, and I know that's quite the praise for a young guy, but I was just blown away by how good he was and how everything came easily to him. And that just tells you how tough that position is, right? Because the game just beat him up. So that he won, wins two consecutive Stanley Cups with the team, and then he could never really get his, his the mental part of the game right. So I'm hoping with this change to Ottawa, he can get back on track and be the guy that uh, we admired uh, from afar. And, uh, you know, that's the, one of the ugly things about this game. You know, he's at the top of the mountain, and all of a sudden, what, two, three years later, um, he's traded, and people are wondering to what level can he get his game back. It's a crazy game. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, one man that was super busy uh, during this abbreviated offseason was Mark Bergevin out in Montreal. Uh, he he had a checklist, and I think he accomplished basically everything he wanted Quite to. He added, a, he, he added a, back, a backup goalie in Jake Allen from St. Louis. He got yeah. his left shot defenseman in Joel Edmondson. Uh, he made the trade for Josh Anderson out of Columbus, gave up Max Domi for that one, and uh, brought in a top six, top six winger in Tyler Toffoli, which is not too shabby to add to the forward depth in Montreal, uh, you know, not the big star players, again, I mean, outside of Price and Weber, uh, but the forward group is going to have to rely a lot on depth and not a lot of the big-name talents that the other Canadian teams in this North Division have. Well, Josh uh, Anderson is a great player. I, I think he's going to be... Uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he scores 25-plus goals. He's, he's the real deal. And so you look at the other additions, uh, Edmondson is a real... Solid guy. I think I read a couple days ago, uh, this just adds more size to their defense. I don't think they have a defenseman <laughs> under six feet tall. And, uh, you know, we do know that this season is going to be a grind, uh, in particular in the Canadian uh, division. And so uh, I think they've added that toughness also. Uh, so I think this team is uh, really going to benefit also from the backup that you mentioned that can give Carey Price some days off. Although I did read a couple of days ago, Carey Price was saying like it's not in his nature to to want to watch the other guy play. He wants to play every single game. So somehow they're going to have to try and nicely convince him that uh, he needs a break and they have a really good backup and it's good for you to take a little bit of a rest. <laughs> and it's good for our team too. Well, I mean, they just got to show him Jake Allen's stats as a backup. Like, every single year, it feels like when Jake Allen is is more in the backup role, he makes, mm-hmm. like, the top 10 saves on the Sportsnet yep. countdown, and I'd... I always wondered, like, at what point does that translate? Uh, but, Kelly, since we're running out of time, of course, everything begins and ends in Toronto, so why not talk about the Maple Leafs? They are, I think, widely among the average hockey fan being considered the um, top of the North Division. They're considered uh, to be the the pedestal, the team to beat, and, and with good reason, of course, Freddie Anderson, another year in net. They add uh, quite a bit of veteran leadership in just two guys with Joe Thornton and Wayne Simmons, but uh, also TJ Brody goes over there from Calgary. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jimmy VC, I find very interesting as a guy who came into the league with a lot of praise, didn't really find his way, but now might be yeah. uh, slotted in a top six role. The Toronto Maple Leafs, Kelly, are interesting what is the analysis? What's the breakdown on how it shakes out for him? Well, 
talent galore. So yeah. I, I, you know, I think it's pretty safe to say that everybody expects they're going to have a, a great regular season. But that's not the question I have. The question is, how are they going to take all that great talent they have and outwill the other team in the playoffs in the big games? And that's something that's that's the only question for me with that team. You know, they have certain guys that do it. Like I, I, you know, Tavares is a great player, then, and you can't break his spirit. And Austin Matthews is a fantastic player. Mitch Marner, I love, but it, it all has to come together in the playoffs for me with that team because uh, you know it, there's lots of pressure on that team, and it just seems that if you you really truly outwork them, that they will give in to that. And uh, that's the only question mark I have because they're they're an excellent team. T.J. Brody's going to be a really good player for them. I watch him for a number of years here and really respect his game. <clears throat> but, uh, you know, the, maybe the, the best guy, well, Simmons also, but Joe Thornton, and I think all of us have this preconceived idea about Joe Thornton that he's just a fantastic player, great playmaker, happy-go-lucky guy because he comes across as that um, on the television interviews and so on. But but he can be pretty critical of his teammates. Like he really pushes teammates. Uh, mm-hmm. Make no mistake that although he is a very nice guy and and uh, comes across as happy go lucky, he's a pretty determined uh, hockey player. And so some of those things I'm talking about, will they break their spirit? I think he's been added to make sure that no, that's not going to happen. We're, that's not acceptable. Uh, you cannot take our will away, and that's something that uh, certain players in that organization have to learn. It's going to be one fantastic season. Hopefully, for the most part, health is at the foremost, and we can get through yep. it unscathed. Uh, but as Canadian fans, like you mentioned, Kelly, we're in the front row seat. It's going to be one hell of a show. Uh, big thanks to you, sir, uh, for coming on the podcast. We greatly appreciate your insight. Yay! And, uh, yeah, we hope you have a great season. Hopefully you and the family are doing well, and we really appreciate your time tonight. My pleasure, Colby and Lance. This was super fun, and say hi to everybody in Medicine Hat for me. Yes, sir. For Kelly Rudy, Lance Dahl, Colby McKee, signing off. We'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to On the Board. Subscribe now on your favorite podcast platform and find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Podcast. Yes! Yes!